Amen. Morning. Nice to see you. To see you? <laughs> That's great. I didn't think anyone would get that. Everyone's too young. Everyone over 40 is like, why is everyone shouting nice for it? Good, good old Bruce Forsyth, eh? Who'd have thought? <laughs> that was really good. Can we do that again? Nice to see you. To see you? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so I'm finishing... Um, <laughs> making myself laugh. So I'm finishing the uh, 40 days of reset. Um, yeah, so this is the book. I can't say I've been particularly enthralled by it, but <laughs> it's uh, living a grace-filled, a grace, sorry, living a grace-paced life in a burnout culture. That's what we've been talking about. And um, the guys I thought the last few weeks have been amazing at um, relaying really what is grace and what is resting in God what is being at peace in a world like this, which is pretty tricky, I've found. Um, I've been working from home quite a bit, and um, I've been upstairs and made a little office like most of us have done in lockdown, I think, and these things. And so I've had the TV on in the background with the news on, <clears throat> which isn't a great thing. <laughs> I found that. So I was, I was looking at this, and I thought, living a grace-paced life in a burnout culture, I think it should be living, a fear-based, living in a fear-based culture. Um, I put the news on. First of all, it was Brexit, wasn't it? It was, we're going to have food shortages. We're all going to starve to death. Um, so, and there was a huge turmoil of Brexit, and everybody fell out with each other. And we got through Brexit, and, um, and then we had COVID, which we're still in, I think. And... Uh, we're all going to have a terrible time in the pandemic, and um, we're probably all going to die of COVID and all the other related things. And then we got through COVID, by the grace of God, to an extent, and um, now we're, uh, what are we on now? Oh, now we've got the price hike on the gas and the electric, so we're not going to be able to heat our homes, we're all going to freeze to death. And if that doesn't get you, guess what? Food prices are going up. So if you don't freeze to death, you might starve to death. And if you survive all of that, I was just watching the news and I thought, gosh, could it get any worse? And now, Russia's about to invade. <laughs> I don't speak a word of Russian, so uh, it doesn't get much better. I thought, crikey, I'm going to turn the news off. I was actually pleased when the adverts came on. Until the advert came on and told me that half my household's going to die of cancer this year. That every other person in my house is going to get cancer and die. And uh, I'm pleased you're laughing. And, uh, and it was just, it's just atrocious, isn't it? It's absolutely atrocious. Everywhere we look, it's fear, fear, fear. Come under this fear. Come under that fear. But the good news is, the great news is, to my knowledge, God's still on the throne, is he not? And Jesus is sat at his right hand, is he not? And Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father and said, It's finished. And what he meant by saying it's finished was it's finished. And what he meant by saying it's finished is it's finished. So here's what you've got to do. I've defeated the enemy, right? I made a spectacle of him. That's what Jesus did. He made a spectacle of the enemy. He says, I've defeated him. But now what I want you to do is live out the rest of your time on earth as sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters. So when I refer to, I'm going to talk about sonship today because my topic, which is relate... 
and relating to God, I can't think of a more important topic to discuss about how we relate to God, how we speak to the Holy Spirit, how we relate to Jesus, if we don't understand that the foremost, most important thing is we are created as sons and daughters of God. Now, the Jewish writer, when he writes about sons and sonship, it is an all-inclusive thing, so I don't want anyone to get crossed with me that I'm being a, what do you call it? A what? A sexist. Thank you, Jeremy. (laughs) You seem to know that. (laughs) So we're talking sons and daughters. I've got a thing on my desk at home, and I'll try and remind myself of this, and it says this, a servant dreams of how to survive, but a son dreams of destiny. Just, Just ponder on that a minute. A servant dreams how to survive, but a son dreams of destiny. It's not about surviving the next however many years we've got left on the planet. And I know it sounds a bit cliche. It's about thriving. It's about living out the rest of our days of sons and daughters of God. Because then we've got an eternity That's what we've got to remember. We've got an eternity to live out as sons and daughters of God. In fact, it gives us when we understand and when we, and this is what I'm trusting God for today, we get a bit more of a revelation of what it actually means to be a son of God. And I mean daughter by saying that. And we're going to look at a parable, a famous parable. It's been taught for centuries. Jesus originally taught it, and through the years, it's called the prodigal son. You've heard of it? Um, it's, it's mistakenly taught that it's just about one son, but there's such an importance with understanding both the sons in the story. And when Jesus was talking about the prodigal son, that's what it's called, it's found in Luke, he was talking as much as the naughty son, he was talking about the older son. And the people at the beginning of the chapter he was talking to, we see, were Pharisees and scribes, and sinners, the tax collectors, the naughty guys, the rebellious types. I had a powerful message for them both. I was um, asked to preach on the whole topic of grace in South Africa when we were pastoring a church. And um, I really wanted to have a kind of great illustration of what grace means. We've spoke about it a lot, and like I say, I think Phil and Sarah really smashed it out of the park as regards to resting in God and knowing who we are in God and being who we are in God and trusting that God, in trusting in him, things will go a lot better than us trying to trust in our own works. When Jesus spoke about, I I preached last time in Matthew 6.33, he says, your father in heaven knows so much more what you need. You don't need to worry. In fact, every time Jesus came and spoke about God, Jesus referred to him as Father. There's once in the whole of Jesus' ministry, the only time, there's one only other time when Jesus, when he was on the cross, when he, didn't, when he wasn't speaking to him, uh, uh, referring to him as a father. In fact, Jesus actually said, when his disciples came to him, and they said to him, um, how, do we, how do we pray? What do we do? And he gathered them together. And what they're asking him is, well, how do we commune with God? What do we say? How do we relate to God? 
And the first thing Jesus said was, our father. He said, relate to him as a father. Now, a lot of us haven't had an amazing father. My dad's here, so I'm going to say I did. I don't want to be cut off from any inheritances or anything like that. <laughs> He's been an amazing dad. But a lot of us haven't, right? <laughs> and the problem with that is we struggle. We struggle to relate to a perfectly good God who has a perfect plan for us as a son because a lot of us haven't had that relationship where we've got a dad who's just going to help us regardless of what. And that's what grace is, that our dad actually sees us above our behavior and all these things. So I was trusting God for this great story. Um, how, what a good example of what grace is. Because grace is unmerited favor of God. That's what grace means. It's the unmerited favor of God. We actually get what we don't deserve. We didn't deserve to spend eternity in heaven with a loving father and everything else going on in heaven. But because of what Jesus did, we've inherited, we're grafted in, we're adopted into the family of God because simply because it wasn't even anything we did. We only came to Christ because the Holy Spirit drew us. We only accepted Christ because God helped us. And we only walked into that place of salvation and as a son of God through believing. It was a simple exchange of I believe in here. It was, it was a swap. Anyway, I was driving in South Africa I just got myself a bit of a fast car and um, maybe a little bit arrogant. And I was driving around and I was late actually for a church meeting, but I wanted to go to the, to the surf shop before the church meeting because a bunch of us used to surf quite a bit after, after, after work and things. So I thought I'll quickly race there. And as I was going down the road, the traffic light just switched yellow. Is it yellow? What do we call it? Yeah, amber. And I thought I can put my foot down and nip through. Anyone else done that? <laughs> it's very dangerous. That was actually a test. <laughs> so I put my foot down, and as I put my foot down, it went red, but now I'm committed, right? So th I go through the, the traffic lights on red, and got to the other side of the junction, and out jumps a traffic policeman, and he was not happy. <laughs> He actually nearly, I nearly killed him because he jumped out in front of the car, put his, he's there, stop, he says, stop. He goes, what are you doing? And he starts screaming, and I mean he was screaming at me. He goes, what do you think you're doing? Racing round in a big, nice car like this, young guy, he was fuming, right? And I actually thought, and I know this is a terrible thing to say, but I'm going to be transparent. I thought to myself, if I put my foot down, by the time this little fat traffic policeman gets back to his car, I'll be long gone. Anyone done that? <laughs> so I didn't turn my car off, and I thought, I'm just going to drive off. He was really angry, right? And I felt the Holy Spirit say, Lance, stop. I thought, well, I could, I could do it. And then I thought to myself, it wouldn't be good in the headlines, local pastor in police chase. <laughs> so I turned the car off, and um, he got his big notepad out, and he went around my car, and uh, he, was looking, he was looking for anything he could possibly add to the ticket. Going through a red light was the number one. And um, I'm just sat there, and I'm thinking, oh, I just do not need this. 
I'm, I'm going to be late for my meeting. This guy's going to write me up a few hundred pounds for a ticket, and I'm just really not in the mood for this. And I felt the Lord said to me, I've told you you're my son. Relax and rest in me. So I wound my window down, and I started being nice to the traffic cop. He wasn't interested. He was shouting at me. Well, I won't even repeat what he said to me. And he got round to the back of the car and um, stopped. And he ran back, came back to the front of the window and uh, took his, his ticket he'd just written. There's a good few things on there. Screwed it up. He says, go. I said, what? He says, go. Just go, please. Will you just go? I said, yeah. I said, can I, can I ask what happened? Why, 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 you know? He says, just go. Do you want to go? I said, no, I'd like to go. But uh, <laughs> I said, what happened? And he said, I'll tell you what happened in an angry voice. He's still angry. He said, when I got to the back of your car, God told me, this is a man of God. Let him go. <laughs> True story. True story. Thank God I didn't speed off from the police. <laughs> because the thing is, and I'm not advocating, please, I'm not advocating recklessness, okay? Because that is not a Christian thing to do, is it? But what I advocate advocating is the fact that I don't think we quite realize how powerful a place that we're sat in and what a position we're in when we come into the revelation that we're actually a son of God and heaven's disposal is at our disposal. Not because of anything clever I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me on my behalf. I read this this week. I thought it was... I've never heard this before. I don't know if you got it. It was a, it was a historian said it. And he said this. He said, when, Christian, when Christianity first arose in the world, nobody called it religion. It wasn't seen as another religion. It was called anti-religion. Did you know that? I didn't know that. The Romans, for about 200 years, the Romans, called the Christians atheists. Do you know that? Because the Romans realized that Christianity was saying about God, what, what Christianity was saying about God was so different than any other religion had ever said it really shouldn't be given the same kind of name. It's in a whole different category, this is what the Romans thought, altogether, and they were right that it is, it is a complete, there's no other religion, I don't even like to call it religion, there is no other faith on the planet quite like Christianity. There is nothing like, these guys in the early church understood that they were children of God and they lived it out and they, li and they responded to God and they related to God in a way as a perfect loving father because they understood what Jesus had taught. Let's, let's have a look at it. They, they, they really had a good revelation of what Jesus was talking about in this parable of the prodigal son. Cue slide. I don't know who that is, Spider-Man or whatever. Right. Then he said, this is Jesus talking, all right? Let me just switch over my page here. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Say two. Two. Okay, I'm just checking your weight. The younger of them inappropriately said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. Now that would have been 
In the culture of the day, just asking for that was horrific. In the culture and the, and the time, that was looked as a major insult. That was a huge slap in the face of the father. The father had every right at that place to say, give actually the son a good hiding and send him on his way with nothing. But remember, and this is key in this parable, that when Jesus is talking about the father in this parable, this is God that he is wanting you to understand. He's talking about Jesus' father in heaven. He's talking about when Jesus said, actually what Jesus said was, when he relayed to his father in heaven, he called him Abba. And a direct translation for Abba is Daddy. So accurately translated in a way to relate to God, we should be dialoguing with him as daddy. Now, I know for us alpha, alpha male types, it's quite a tricky one to be praying daddy, daddy, but he's not some distant, far-off God in some, in some angry state waiting to give everybody a hiding for not doing what he said. He's a loving father, and Jesus refers to him as daddy. And Jesus... One of his most important things he did was Jesus was role modeling for us what it is to live out as a son. And he was trying to relate that to his disciples the whole way through. What it is to live out as a son and a daughter, your time here on earth. So, so he divided the estate, which was, which was unheard of. Now, the, the people that he was talking to when Jesus was relaying this parable to the Pharisees um, and the scribes and the sinners, this was unheard of that a son could be that rebellious. And the father, a loving father, would respond to him in such a nice way. So he divided the estate between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered together everything he had. So at, for the father in those days, the, the, what, the land you owned, uh, that was your position. To start pulling that apart was a, that in, the, in the local town, in the, in, the, in the village, and amongst it was a huge embarrassment for the dad. But the dad didn't care. He gave the son what he wanted. He split everything up. And so he divided the estate between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered together everything that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he wasted his fortune in reckless and immoral living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to do without and become in need. So he went and forced himself on one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, he's Jewish. This is not a good thing also. He's now sharing food, which they, <laughs> they're not too fond of pigs. And now here he is eating the pig food, starving. He's lost all the money. He's lost all the inheritance. He's in a terrible state. He's homeless, and now he's eating pig food. He would have gladly eaten the, the carob, however you say that. How do you say that? Thank you. Pods that the pigs were eating, but they could not satisfy his hunger, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he finally came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough food while I am dying here of hunger? Now, just, just back it up again. When he finally came to his senses, the actual scripture accurately translates, he came to his senses, which meant his thinking, his theology, came in line with God's thinking and God's theology. So his thinking came more in line with how a loving father would want him to relate, not how he thought. So he came to his senses. While I'm dying here, I will get up and go. 
to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's saying, I get it. What I've done is unforgivable. I totally, you're totally reasonable for not to relate to me as a son anymore. Just treat me like one of your hired men. So the hired men were, they weren't even, they weren't, they weren't people who lived on the estate. The hired men were kind of tradesmen who would come in. And he was thinking, so the son's thinking, you know, I'm going to prepare this, this, um, this speech and go back. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. John, just, just walk to me. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> so when the father saw the son coming, he ran to the son, ran to him. And kept <laughs> <laughs> right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, hello son, uh, you've been pretty bad, we're going to have to talk about it. Uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to clean yourself up over there, he kissed him. Did you like that? <laughs> he loved him. He, the, the father just, just, his emotions were so delighted. And what's key here, we have to realize, and Jesus is relating to the father as God, the son didn't even have time to repent, did he? He didn't even manage to get his speech out. He didn't even manage to say, Father, I've done all this stuff wrong, and here's my list, and here's what I'm prepared to do. Before he could say a word, God ran to him. He embraced him. He passionately kissed him. He loved him. He wouldn't even hear. He didn't even get to repent. How often do we think, I know, if we haven't repented of all these things and got right with God, because what Jesus did, we're always in a perfect position with God. That's grace. We get what we don't deserve. That's, that's the amazing thing that Jesus has done for us. The problem is, it's not right doing Christianity. You can't work your way into God's favor. Your works, you can't, there's nothing you can do to get any more better position than believing in Christ. It's not right doing, it's right thinking. Christianity is right thinking, not right doing. So then what happened? Sorry, we got it there. So he had his speech, the, um, he gave his speech, where are we at? The father said to his servants, okay, then what happened? Boom. Quickly bring out the best robe, the dad says. He hasn't even repented, he hasn't, he hasn't got his speech out, and the dad says, bring out, his best, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and give him a ring for his handle, sandals for his feet. Well, let's just pause it there. Let's back up. So let me just quickly explain what this means. Okay. The robe. When the father said, bring out the robe, this is what we need to, to kind of have a revelation and, and appropriate this to our lives. The minute the father said, bring out the robe, the robe was traditionally referred to as the best robe, the robe. The best robe for, that what would happen is in, uh, in kind of Old Testament times, there was an, it was an exchange. It was a covenant exchange. So if, if covenants were made in the old days where if, if we had two villages and we had an aggressive village and we'd get together and we'd make a covenant and we'd exchange robes, 
And this would, and we'd cut a calf, and we'd walk in it in a figure of eight, which was declaring that our covenant was infinitive, and we would live like that. And so when he said, bring out the robe and put it on him, now the son didn't have a robe to exchange. He smelt of poo. He was being in the pigs. He was filthy. He was homeless. The father brought him out the best robe. Again, another perfect illustration of there's nothing you can do. So he clothed him in his robe. Now, clothing him in that robe immediately said to everyone, all the resources of his father's estate was now at his disposal. As a son of God, all and everything of heaven is at the believer's disposal. Everything at heaven's disposal. Just turn to the person next to you, because I really want to get this, and say, everything as a child of God, is at your disposal. With a bit of passion, come on, flipping it. Everything. When I had, um, I'll keep this one short, I had uh, COVID pretty bad. Um, well, I had it a couple of times. I hadn't had the inoculate, uh, what do you call them, the vaxes, and uh, got COVID. And uh, I was lying in bed pretty sick. And um, I progressive, pro- progressively got worse and worse. And uh, I was at home. Kerry was away at the time. And I couldn't breathe. And I was really struggling to fill my, my lungs with air. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to head to hospital. So I said to my daughter was in, Emma, and I said... Um, I said, don't, don't think of doing anything. I think you're going to have to take me to A&E. And um, anyway, I fell asleep. I woke up early in the morning, and I still couldn't breathe, and I was really bad. And I said to the Lord, you know, Father, what do I do? Do I go, do I go to hospital? Do I book myself into A&E? Um, what do I do? I want to ask him first, you know, because I'm his son. And the Holy Spirit said to me immediately, go downstairs and take communion. So I went downstairs and I took some bread and I took a bit of of wine and I took communion. And and the Father said to me, I want you to remember what's at your disposal. Because we're in covenant. And I took communion and I struggled to take communion because I couldn't breathe. And I was immediately healed. Immediately healed. I'm not exaggerating. I was immediately healed. You can ask Emma, because she came in and said, Dad, am I taking you to hospital? I said, no. I said, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Because what's in heaven is at our disposal as sons of God. He then said to the son, he put the ring on his finger. Now, a ring on his finger, and I spoke quite a little bit about this when I last preached. The ring on his finger signified, every, they didn't have credit cards in those days. And the signet ring on the father, on the son, now hand, was a symbol of, a financial um, provision of the father. He could go every, anywhere and do anything, and all he had to do is present that ring, and that signet ring, that, Im, that imprint of that signet ring, wherever he went, would cover the cost of everything. So not only is everything of heaven at disposal, in all physical aspects, in all other aspects, the signet ring talked very clearly about the uh, wealth about God's provision. And then he said, put sandals on him. And the sandals is a very simple one that slaves would go around barefoot, but a son went round with his shoes back on. So the father put sandals on his feet to signify to everyone, this is no longer a situation where this son's alienated, alienated, <laughs> alienated from me. 
He's reinstated with full rights and full provision. And then he said this, after all of this, he said, and bring the fatted calf, slaughter it, and let us invite everyone to feast and celebrate. So then they took the fatted calf, which was, they, they didn't eat a lot of meat in those days, and this was a massive deal. This was for one, if the king was visiting type thing, we kill the fatted calf. So the party, is there any more to this slide? Is there another slide after that? For this son of mine was, was as good as dead, and now he's alive again, for he was lost, and now he's been found, and so they begin to celebrate. And then in comes the oldest son. And I'm going to read this to you, um, because this is important. Now, his oldest son was in the field, and when he returned, he approached the house, and he heard the music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and began asking, what does celebration mean? This is the oldest son now. And he said to him, the servant said to him, and your father has come, uh, uh, your father, your brother's come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he was received him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and deeply resentful and was not willing to go in. So the older son's now come back. He's not excited his brother's returned home at all because there's a financial bearing now because now he's blown the, all, the, all the inheritance of his share. So if he's reinstated, who's he going to be sharing with now? His brother's come and your father killed a fatted calf and received him back. But the elder brother was angry and became deep, deeply resentful and was not willing to go in. And the father came out and began pleading with him. You see, again, we see the father, a perfect loving father, which God's trying to, to, to show you here in the, illust- in the illustration, in the parable. The father's gone out again. So first of all, he went out to the prodigal son. And now we see him going out to the religious son. He goes out to him. He begs him. He implores him. But he said to his father, look, these many years I've served you. He said, I've served you. I've done all these things. I've done everything you've said. I've never neglected or disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me so much as a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this other son of mine, he doesn't need, when this other son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother anymore, it's his other son, has arrived, who devoured your estate with immoral women, and did all that wrong stuff, you slaughtered a fatted calf for him. And the father said to, said to him this, and this is so key. Son, you are always with me. And everything I have is, is yours. It's all at your disposal. It's always been at your disposal. Everything I have is, is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother was, of yours was as good as dead. And he'd begun to live. And now he's lost. And now he's been found. And the reason why Jesus put the older brother in the illustration, is because he was aware that the teachers and the legalists and the, and the, and the religious types were in the, were in the crowd. He was trying to illustrate again, it's all about relationship. It's about how you relate to me as a father. The relationship between us is more important than anything. You've got everything. Everything of mine has always been yours. And he responds, the older son, a typical older son, a typical religious person who hasn't had a revelation that they are completely in a perfect position because of what Christ did, because of what the Father's done and how the Father's positioned him. And he starts saying, you've done nothing for me. You didn't kill the calf. You didn't do all these things. I've lived a perfect life. A perfect religious answer. The Father implored him, come in, son. Come and celebrate with us. No. And we don't know what happened then. Jesus stopped the parable there. But it's so important that we don't end up being eldest son. I, I went to a, I was at 
really good friends of ours last night. And um, I was talking to them about coming to church today. And they're lovely Christian people. And they do amazing, they do amazing good things out there. And they wouldn't come to church. I said, well, and, and I, I, I kind of, we had debate over dinner for a good, good hour why they wouldn't come to church. And they said, of all the religious people who've judged them and said that they should have been doing this and they're not doing enough of this and why are they positioned like this? And they said, Lance, we don't want to come. And I realized when they were saying this to me, although I thought it was pretty sad because they've got so much to give, I realized their experience of church thus far is older brothers. That's all they've encountered. Older brothers telling them, look, at, look how good we are. You should be like this. You shouldn't have done that. That's the last people we should be. Timothy Keller, I heard him say recently, if the kind of gospel and news that you're sharing with people around you isn't Jesus' message, you won't have sinners around you. You won't have people far from God around you. We need to check the kind of the message that we're relaying to people. We should be surrounded with those people because Jesus was, because they were comfortable with him. Amen? There was a pastor in, um, he went out to the red light district in Amsterdam, and uh, he was preaching at a church there, and he, he arrived at a bar, he arrived late with a flight, and he just wanted to grab some coffee, and he couldn't find anywhere apart from this one bar which was open there, and he went in, and he was sat, he was sat in the bar, and um, ordered some coffee and things, and then a bunch of um, prostitutes came in, who'd been working all night long. And um, he overheard them talking about one of the girl's birthday, which was, which was coming up. And um, he heard her say to her friends, you know, I've never, had a, I've never had a birthday my whole life. When I was little, no one bought me a cake. I've never had a birthday. So he came, he spoke to the barman, and he arranged, this is the pastor visiting. He said, can I put a party on here for, the, for these prostitutes when they finish work tomorrow? And... Um, he said, yeah, sure. He said, who are you? He said, no, I'm a, I'm a pastor. He said, a what? He said, you know, pastor. He goes, from a church? He said, yeah, from a church. He says, you want to put a party on for the prostitutes? He said, yeah, I'd like to do that. I'd like to put a party on for her. And he went out and he organized a cake. And he organized a massive party for these girls. She came in the next night. I can't remember the name of the lady. They came in and they said, what's all this? And they said to him, well, the pastor's put on a party for your birthday. <laughs> they, were, they, they, they were in pieces. No one's ever done that. They've judged them and told them how wrong. Their, their experience of Christianity was a load of older brothers. They had this amazing party, and it all finished. And at the end of the, at the, end of the night, the, the barman came up, the barman bar owner came up to the, uh, the pastor who'd put it on, and he said, um, he said which, ch which church are you from? He goes, I want to join. He said, why? He goes, I, the kind of pastor who puts on a party for prostitutes is my kind of church. That struck me powerfully. I mean, hopefully he didn't go home and put it on the expenses as party with prostitutes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it's a great story. 